Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul, as always, taking calls 0818-103-103. Anything you want to get off your chest, anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can also text WhatsApp us 0862-103-103. And looking at, at the papers today, the front page of the examiner kind of stopped me in my tracks with a photograph. It's a very large uh, black and white photograph. They have under, uh, an, and underneath it is an article written by Colin Sheridan who talks about a tipping point has arrived in Gaza and the picture is of a little boy, I'd say probably nine, ten-year-old uh, boy and he's hunkered down in the uh, the rubble of a destroyed building. I'm assuming probably his home and he's hunkered down and he's got his hands on the back of his head. He's just kind of holding his head and you can imagine what's going through his little mind and you can see in the background of the photograph other people are rooting through the rubble of the building. I don't know, maybe looking to see if there's any uh, survivors there, but it's just such a horrific photograph of a young boy. And that's on the front page of the examiner. And on the back page of the examiner, there's this gorgeous photograph of three lovely, sweet, innocent uh, Irish boys. Their pupils are first class at the star of the school uh, the star of the school, National School in Passage West and they were performing yesterday at their annual nativity play in the Harper Parish Church and it's a gorgeous festive uh, photograph, you know, the three boys, I'm assuming that they were the three uh, wise men and it's a beautiful photograph and it's a photograph of innocence and you sort of, you look at that and then you go back to the front page, that's on the back page and on the front page you look at that little boy and think that, you know, that's what that little boy should be doing, he should be taking part in some kind of a Christmas uh, play and instead there he is sitting in the midst of the rubble of his building and I I don't know did he lose his parents because they're talking about now the amount of orphans in uh, Gaza who've literally lost everyone not just their parents and their siblings but their grandparents aunts, uncles and there's literally uh, children who've got nobody left in the world for them it really is shocking and Colin Sheridan is writing about the fact that it's almost two weeks now since that very tentative ceasefire uh, between Israel and, and Hamas uh, ended. And of course, every passing day in that two weeks, what has Israel done? They've just intensified their uh, campaign and it is having a devastating effect on the people of Gaza. In the last 48 hours alone, Palestinians have suffered the most brutal days of violence in the south. And what's what's shocking about it being in the south, that's the very area where the Israeli defence forces urged the citizens of Gaza to flee from the north. They said you need to move out of the north because there was an unrelenting campaign of indiscriminate bombing there. So they said go to the south, you're going to be safe in the south. And then when they went to to the south, there is particularly brutal focus uh, on a city called Khan Yunus. The residents there are reporting a, a city that is just completely under siege. 
there's similar stories coming out from Rafa and Rafa of course is the southern Gazan city that borders Egypt that's where the famous Rafa crossing uh, is you would have thought that when people get to Rafa they would be safe because it's on the border with uh, Egypt but Hamas health officials say 22 people were killed in Rafa that included uh, children it was an Israeli airstrike on Monday emergency workers still were searching for victims and survivors yesterday and tens of thousands of Gazians now most of them are women and uh, children they started to evacuate from the north of Gaza to the south when they were getting the when they were told to do so by the Israeli Israelis and, and Colin Sheridan writes they did so in silence, their hands raised, moving past Israeli controlled checkpoints where many of the men were detained and they were uh, denied uh, progress. So we seem to be very much at this tipping point for the uh, people of Gaza. The World Health Organization are saying that the health system in Gaza has gone from 36 working hospitals to 11 and even the 11 hospitals, I mean, they are barely, barely uh, functioning. And then for the citizens of Gaza, the UN, they are probably represent their last hope. And we do know last night the General Assembly voted overwhelmingly, even though 10 countries voted against it. They voted for a ceasefire and that's seen as a strong demonstration of global support for the ending of this uh, conflict. When and how is it all going to uh, end? And I know whenever you hear any of the Israeli politicians interviewed about what what they are doing, you know, they'll always go back and say, oh, well, look what Hamas did. And I don't think there's anyone in the world um, who w- would not but condemn the brutality of what Hamas did on the 7th of October and then they went, yeah, and the fact that they kidnapped innocent uh, c- civilians and you know at the time there was a very very widespread sympathy for the Israeli uh, people because of what had happened but surely now that sympathy has got to be starting to dissipate because of the actions of what the Israeli state and the military are doing in the two months since October the 7th. And, you know, Israel, if they want to try to maintain any kind of a degree of of high ground, a moral high ground, surely, surely they have to stop this cruel bombardment of the people of Gaza and they are the only ones that can declare a permanent uh, ceasefire. And I think, you know, surely to all reasonable Israelis, they must be getting to the stage of thinking that if they if they if they want and need just and lasting peace, that the only way it can be done is through political means, not through this uh, military aggression, because this military aggression is only killing uh, civilians, and you know it's it's not it's, it's certainly not getting them uh, anywhere. And all we're seeing are these just heartbreaking scenes day after day after day, and it's unlike. Other war conflicts in the past, we the world can't look back and say we didn't know it happened. A little bit like after the end of the Second World War, you know, the, most of the world when they discovered what was going on in the concentration camps, they were unaware. Even Germans themselves were unaware of what was happening in most of the concentration camps. We can't say that because we're watching it in real time uh, because of social media. And, you know, it was after the Second World War that the Geneva Convention kicked in, which, by the way, Mil- um, Israel um, have fully signed up to. And the Geneva Convention at the time 
and is still in place. It prohibits the practice of collective punishment and it also prohibits the displacement of the civilian population. The bombing of civilian areas is also forbidden and as a clear military objective has been identified, the denial of water, the denial of basic foodstuffs, foodstuffs to a besieged population is also deemed a war crime and the destruction of military facility clearly falls into uh, the uh, same categories. And of course, that was the reason that that was put in place. That was put in place at the time following what had happened to the Jewish uh, people at the end of the Second World War. And that was why the Geneva Convention was put in place. And now look what's, ha- look what's happening. It's the Israelis are doing it uh, to another group of people. It truly, truly is shocking. And I suppose we here look on in... As I say, it's just utter heartbreaking. I'm I'm still finding it hard to watch the news. And all we can do is uh, to continue to pray that there will be a ceasefire and that there will be a ceasefire soon. C103's Christmas covered. Uh, We are continuing with that right across this week. Yesterday, Maura O'Connell in Ballygarvan was the winner of a €500 Supervalue gift card. We have another gift card to give away today. I'm looking for a qualifier on the programme. Later on in the programme, I will give you the exact time. I will give you your cue to text or WhatsApp and please wait until I give you the cue to text and WhatsApp. You'll go into the draw. One listener will join me on air, answer a Christmas question and by doing that, qualify on this programme to go forward to a draw uh, where four names go into the hat with Martina after six today and then Martina makes that very exciting call where she rings one of our qualifiers back and that person picks up a €500 Super Value gift card. It's all part of the C103's Christmas cover and Super Value gift cards. They're perfect for every occasion. Now, they're available in-store as we speak or you can go online and they can be sent with a personal message. You simply search Super Value gift cards. But no texting or WhatsApping on that yet. Uh, we'll give it to you a little bit later. C103's Christmas uh, covered. Now, an email into Cork today at c103.ie looking for listeners' thoughts on this, what happened to one of our listeners who wants to remain anonymous, which is fine. Hi, Patricia. I'm currently nine months into my maternity leave and I'm loving every minute of it. Yesterday, I received a voucher in the post for €40. Euro. It's for a local clothes shop. The voucher was taken from the Kitty at Work, which is a ward for elderly patients. Patients' families often donate hundreds of euro to the ward for all the hard work taking care of their loved ones during their stay. And obviously at this time at Christmas, lots of people, if they've got loved ones in any kind of a residential unit, will drop in some things just by way of saying thank you to uh, the staff. Now, back to the email. I'm not for giving out, but €40 euro is quite miserable and reflects badly on the appreciation of the hard work everybody does on the ward. Now, I'm grateful that I'm financially comfortable as I've planned in saved hard for this baby but I'm still insulted by this miserly amount. Maybe I am overly reacting. Would love to hear listeners' uh, thoughts. Kind regards, as I say, the listener wants to remain uh, anonymous, which is uh, fine. Okay, 40 euro, it doesn't sound uh, like a lot. Uh, I don't know. I mean, when you're in, when you're in a situation like that where there is a ward and and maybe maybe some other listeners can explain this to to us when all the gifts come in and the thank yous come in from the patients families how is it normally divided up do do some wards do kind of a raffle system where everybody gets to select 
a particular uh, item are, you know, do they do their best to try to evenly divide it all up? Now, I'm assuming at the 40 euro for a local clothes uh, shop, was that voucher handed in or did they take it from money that they had received in the kitty and went out and purchased the 40 euro uh, a gift voucher. And then the fact that this listener is nine months out on maternity leave, so for the bones of this year, hasn't been at, at work. If someone is out on maternity leave, are they always included when you're divvying up the presents and the thank yous that are given in at Christmas. Anyway, your thoughts uh, welcomed. Is the listener right to feel a little bit insulted that €40 Euro doesn't seem like a lot, especially when she knows, have, I mean, because I'm assuming she's worked She's worked at this particular, in this particular ward uh, for a number of years. So she knows the amount of gifts. She knows the worth of the gift and the amount of money that comes in every single year. So she knows that all the rest of the workers in the ward will be getting a lot more. Or should she look, at it, look on it the other way, the fact that she has been out for the last uh, nine months, that the rest of the staff are just giving it as a, well, we haven't forgotten about you sort of thing. It's quite shocking to hear that uh, dead animals are being left lying on farms because of an ongoing dis- dispute between knackeries and the rendering plants, which according to West Cork Senator Tim Lombard, now needs immediate intervention from the top. It needs intervention from the Minister for Agriculture. Senator Tim Lombard joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. I suppose for to people outside of the farming community, we need to try and uh, give a bit of background to this. What is the dispute about and how long has it been ongoing for? It's probably going for the last 10 days. It's a dispute between the knackeries and the rendering plants regarding the actual cost of per tonne, how much it is going to the rendering plants. So they have to increase the cost per tonne of the offal going in by something like 80 euros a tonne, which will have a huge impact on how the knackeries work and the knock-on implications. It will have a huge implication on how the farmers pay for, for the dead animals. The department also give a subsidy, so there's a kind of a tree legged stool here involved. You have the knackeries, you have the department and you have the farming community. And look So so I suppose so I suppose just again, just I'm I'm very conscious of not everyone's from a farming background. When an animal dies on a farm, just explain the procedure of what normally happens and how long that would normally take. Yeah, so this all to do with our with our policy that's been running for the last twenty five years, literally the traceability of animals all the way through the system. So when an animal is born, it is tagged, it is registered, goes through its life cycle. When it when it dies, then it's sent to a knackery and the knackery then would register its debt and it's taken off the database. So it's really comprehensive how they actually run the operation. So the idea is that if you have an animal that's after falling or dying, um, the, you would get the knackery out, the knackery then would take away the animal, they then would render that animal and that would go to rendering plants, in particularly Walford, which would be our nearest rendering plant to West Cork. And um, like there's obviously a significant amount of animals go through that on a yearly basis. And is that, a qu- that, is that a pretty quick procedure in that a farmer rings today to the local knackery to say fallen animal, w- would it, within a couple of days, would they be out to oh, collect that animal? Within, within 24 hours, you're going oh, to have a system. Okay. That yeah. So like in fairness, they're, they're very busy in the springtime sometimes. They're very competent, very capable. They Like there might be the odd, time it might run to two days but on average it's within that 24 hour period that the animal is picked up and the last thing a farmer wants is to have a dead animal around the yard like it's bad enough to lose an animal but then to be looking at it is actually even worse for the farmer so the farmer just wants that animal gone from his farm he wants it moved on because like obviously there's issues there you'd have obviously smell odor 
like not only that it's a, you know it's a public health issue in so many ways as well and it gathers other issues that come into the yard like animals that you don't want can, yeah can attract so, rodents i imagine can it Oh, completely. Like, you know, if you had an animal that has fallen, you're going to get, unfortunately, visitors which you don't want in the farmyard, which are which are another issue. So, like, those rodents will come and attack the animal. So, like, that's a, an issue that you never want to see. So that's why they come so capably, and that's why they come so competently and move the animal yeah, on. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking but, of farm families with, with, with children as well. You know, I mean, as you oh, say, it's bad enough on the farmer, but for children to be watching, looking out at a dead animal oh. every day is right now to school. And that's the issue. Like, we're dealing with Starry now with this has gone on for nearly 10 days. Animals are on farms all over West Cork, literally from Beira all the way to Kinsale to Manambridge, not all, like all over Ireland. Like, this is an Irish issue itself. It's a big issue. It's after blowing up. So you've dead animals, dead, dead horses in particular, as well that are out there as well so it's not alone the the actual bovine herd but the actual horse features are, are tied into it too and, and what are, what are the farmers being told to, to do since this dispute started the line has been kind of mixed first line is contact your knackery and see your knackery take the animal they can't they're full they can't okay. go anywhere so then you're covering the animal with plastic and you're trying to protect it from the elements so nothing will attack it uh, but if you have an animal that's dead over a week, my God, you, there's nothing going to protect that animal. That animal is going to implode in so many ways, which I don't want to go into. And the like, smell must be just horrific. Terrible, terrible stuff altogether. So, like, that is really, really where we are at the moment. And the entire issue here is about how we get the three legs of the stool to move together. Both the knackeries, one, the department, which have an in- which are important because they actually regulate the industry, and the rendering plants. All three now need to come together to come up with a solution. Like... The potential is there that we will going back in time and actually issuing burial licenses for actual farmers and we'll be giving farmers the license to actually bury an animal, which happened 25 years ago. Like that's a step backwards. It could be an emergency step that we have to take until this dispute is solved. So, when, so sorry, when, when you're saying issue a burial license, do, do I take mm. it a farmer can't just decide to bury an animal? Oh, no, no. Totally against the law. You can't bury an animal. So the idea is that you have to get a license from the department to do it in circumstances like this, once in a blue moon, never before has it happened in the last 20 years. So the issue here is that you need to make sure the database is right. We know where every animal is in the entire country. We know exactly where they are. So that's why the actual in-the-life element and where the knackers come into it, they're actually knocked off the system, the actual cow. So we know exactly where the animal is. So where we are now at the moment is a really, really extreme situation. We have animals on the, on farms with 10 or 12 days. Animals are decomposing at a normal rate at the moment because they've been dead over a week. And there seems to be no solution to the actual issue between the rendering plants and the nutnackeries. And the knock-on implication is the farming community and the farmers are stuck with animals on their farm that they can't move. Yeah, right. and as you say, I mean, it's ca- it must be causing huge distress for, for farmers because, as you said, it's hard enough to lose an animal. Oh, completely. Like, my view at home has always been if we lost a cow and to gone within an hour, it's absolutely the last thing I ever want to see. And I think the farmers that could look at an animal decomposing for in a yard for a week is just a terrible sight to see. It's an appalling issue. Um, like, there's, and I've heard of cases now where Northern Ireland rendering plants are coming south as far as Walford pick of animals at the moment. 
Now that's unsustainable going forward, but it just shows you the dire need that some farmers have to move the animals that have been fallen for the last. Farmers just want to rage. Somebody said, "Can you not get a dispensation from the Department of Agriculture to bury fallen animals on your farmland?" That's that burial license you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I actually think it's something that the departments nearly have to go. It's probably a step backwards in time because of something we probably moved away from because it's, you know there's a hazardous issue about plant uh, about burying an animal. But I think because of the emergency situation we're in, we're in at the moment, I could see that happening in the next few days because something has to happen. You can't continue this unbelievable scenario that animals are dead over a week in a farm and no outlet for them. And it's very stressful for a farmer, very stressful for everyone involved. And affairs to the Macri's, they're under exceptional pressure. They're getting phone calls after phone calls from the farming community about can you come, can you come, and they can't because of this dispute. So the Macri's are really tied up and they're, they know these farmers. They're a part of their business for the last 20, 30 years. They know them personally. Yeah, because they're the they're ones that call out. Yeah, they're the ones who are dealing with them. Yeah. I saw um, one of your fellow senators, uh, Timmy Dorley, um, say that the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, that they should intervene in this dispute. Could they be of help? Yeah, it could because the amount of rendering plants in Ireland is very limited. I think because of that, there's always been issues about competition within the marketplace. And I think the majority of the rendering plants are probably owned by one individual. And that then would question about where's the actual competition. So in fairness, to me, it's a very fair and valid point. And we've always been asking this issue about where is the competition within the marketplace? And if they're going to increase the cost of tonnage going by 80 euros overnight, the knock-on implication is like, who's going to pay? It's either going to be the farmer or the department, and it's probably going to be the farmer. And that's going to be a huge implication on how much they pay for the actual animal. But again, it comes down to lack of competition within the actual sector itself. One of the good things that have happened in the last 48 hours is they've changed the limit of, in other words, you could only get an animal. The rendering plant had to be within 120 kilometres of the of the knackery. They've now disposed of that issue. So that gave the opportunity for rendering plants from the north to come south to pick up animals. It's a bit of a bizarre situation. And the journey, the, and, and just think the way, I mean, God, we're talking about COP28 and trying to cut back on carbon emissions. I mean, that just seems crazy that we're sending trucks down from the north of Ireland. Yeah, like I, I know of a case where a truck left and went down to all the way to Waterford yesterday picking up dead animals. And like, it's a crazy situation we never had before. And look, this issue between the rendering plants and the knackeries, unless it's sorted in the next maybe two or three days, Christmas is upon us. There'll be nothing sorted for the next two Yeah, it'll go, on, it'll go on into the new year. Yeah, and and your, call, your call, uh, Tim, is to go all the way to the top. You want Charlie McConnell to intervene. I think it has to happen because, like, and I said this to the minister yesterday, I met him in the corridors, like, unless this is sorted in the next two or three days, literally nothing will be done until the first week of January. And, like, we'll have animals on the farm for over three weeks at that stage. And, like, it's it's a terrible sight for a farmer, for a farming community. And, like, you're right, there's rodent issues, there's public health issues. It's a really big issue for the society to make sure these animals have been disposed of. And we found a way to do it over the last 25 years. We just need to make sure we get the system back up and working okay. again. OK, listen, we'll leave it there. We'll keep a close eye on this one, uh, Tim. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. God bless. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, uh, West Cork Fine Gael Senator uh, Tim Lambert. Now, yesterday, SSE Airtricity announced another cut in its gas and electricity prices, prompting some to hope that this could spark a new round of reductions from the other energy providers. Dara Cassidy of price comparison website Bonkers.ie joins me with his opinions. Good morning to you, Dara. 
Good morning, Patricia. Uh, always welcome to the programme. Now, it's SSE Airtricity's second price cut in almost as many months. Were you surprised by it? I was a little bit surprised. I mean, I had been saying uh, that I thought we'd see further price cuts maybe in spring, meaning we might see some announcements in maybe February. Uh, But listen, I'm not complaining that they've gone a little bit early. It's their second price cut in really as many months. And I think a lot of SSE uh, Treasury customers will probably think Christmas has come early. (laughs) Um, But prices are still high. Um, I'll just go through what they're going down by first. I mean, gas is going down by 11.5% and electricity is going down by 12.8% from the 1st of February uh, and that will save an electricity customer around €210 a year and a gas customer around €150 a year so definitely to be welcomed but energy prices do remain still quite high Patricia so we're not out of the woods yet as they say. Yeah I think when you hear price cuts of you know almost 13% almost uh, 12% you think oh goodness this is really good news but it's what we're paying for electricity is so much higher compared to, say, just a few years ago. For, for sure. And maybe just to put things into perspective, even after this price cost, which is SSE electricity's second cost uh, since November, its electricity prices are still around 85% above what would have been considered normal levels up until maybe three years ago. And its gas prices are still around double normal levels. And and they're now one of the cheapest suppliers. So that just goes to show you the scale of the energy crisis. We saw huge price increases over the past two years. Your households, as your listeners will have felt it in their bills when they got them, you know, um, and we saw huge price increases. And thankfully, we're beginning to see some price decreases, but they're coming off a very, very, very high level. So it means that our gas and electricity prices still remain very high. But thankfully, Patricia, I think, you know, we're coming to the end of the crisis and prices are finally coming back to slightly more manageable levels. But those government assistance measures, such as the reduced fat rate and the electricity credit, are de- were definitely needed at the budget and they will be maybe even needed at the next budget. We just don't know how things will pan out. Can you ever see the prices going back to where they were, say, uh, pre-2020, before COVID and before the uh, Ukrainian crisis? No, to be no. honest. Oh. Um, I, I, I don't. I think, not to throw too many figures at people, but when I started in Bonkers several years ago, uh, you know, you could get a, a unit rate of around 20 to 22 cents for electricity. And if you're switched, you could get maybe 17 or 18 cents. And that at the time was among the highest in Europe. It wasn't necessarily considered super, super cheap, but those were the prices. At the moment, the cheapest price you can get uh, as a result of the latest price cut from SSE is around 30 to 31 cents but a lot of people will be paying maybe closer to 40 cents unless they've switched now at one stage it was as high as 50 cents so you can see that it's come down but I'm not sure if we'll ever get to that 20 to 22 cents level now we might see another round of price cuts but I think we will see another round of price cuts now Patricia I think you know Borgosh Energy, Electric Ireland they'll all follow uh, probably early in the new year maybe given where wholesale prices are we might see another small drop of 10 to 15 percent at some stage towards the end of 2024 but that would still leave our prices very high for gas and electricity and 
yeah, I just don't think we may ever see prices get back to those more normal levels from a few years ago, just because of of where we are, just because of the war. Uh, energy markets have, have structurally changed, and we're bringing a lot of wind onto the system as well, which, which is great for the environment, but it's not cheap, specifically, especially offshore wind. So that's kind of baking some high costs into the system. So. I think higher energy prices are here to stay for the foreseeable we just, future. We just have to get used to it and we have to, and I think everybody has learned to cut down on their energy use. We have, and I think people have been good at, uh, you know, as re-educating themselves about those little tips and tricks. And there are, of course, incentives out there for people to improve the energy efficiency of their home. Um, but still, you feel sorry for the people that can't do that. And mm-hmm. some houses are very, very difficult to retrofit. Not everybody can afford solar panels or heat pumps. And sometimes there's only so much you can do around the home. There's only so many lights that you can turn off or so many doors that you can close to try and keep the heat in. But um, I will be saying to listeners, particularly over Christmas, just to, you know, check up again and remind yourself of those little things that you can do to maybe try and use a little bit less electricity and keep those bills under control. I- I'll give you I'll give you my tip that and it only came it only happened this year at the start of this year I finally bought an air fryer I heard everybody talking about air fryers and I was like oh god I don't think I'd like to look at those air fryers anyway <laughs> moved to an air fryer haven't you I think I've used my oven twice uh, this year and we were very heavy in our house on on using the oven almost on a daily basis I definitely have noticed a reduction in my usage from switching from the traditional oven to the air fryer yeah, I mean, air fryers are great. We actually have one in work at Bonkers It gets great use and they're really fast and really efficient and they can help you save money. They even save on waste, I think, sometimes they do. as well. They do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, again, an oven can cost, I mean, if you're using an electric oven and it's only maybe C or D rated, let's say, uh, which would have been A rated under the older scale, so C or D rated under today's newer scale, uh, turning it on in the afternoon, you know, could cost you maybe 80, 90 cents hour to run so the electric oven is a big energy guzzler we kind of always think it's maybe the electric shower or or, or a different appliance but but electric ovens can use a lot of energy so yes moving towards a air fryer can help cut down on the bills so it'll be it'll be a good tip it'll yeah. be running for hours so with the big turkey i've got <laughs> i've got to uh, wedge in okay and of course we have a new player uh, in the market uh, you know i mean that's always uh, welcome uh, one listener is wondering could we end up seeing the return of discount for moving providers. They kind of stopped that in recent years. Yeah, good, good question. And we have. And actually, there's discounts. Well, discounts have kind of come back from all the suppliers. It's just maybe quickly to new customers. Electric Ireland is offering 14% if you switch. Um, Board Gosh is offering up to 17%. Um, and then there's some fixed energy deals. As the name suggests, they're fixed. They don't change in price. They're very competitive. There's some from Flowgas. There's one from Uno Energy. And then actually, SSE or Tricity Patricia is offering a Another 20% people who switch to us. So, for example, if you were with Borgosh or maybe even uh, Energia, for example, and you move to SSE, as well as getting the discounts that are going to come in on the 1st of February, you will get another 20% on top of that as a new customer for one year. So I'd definitely be saying to people, go on to a site like Bonkers.ie or do your, your, your research and your comparisons because discounts have come back. There are good deals out there and it's um, it, it's not the winter. It's not the time again to be over paying for your your gas and electricity. 
Okay, da- this is from Michael. Could you ask, what did Dara say was the best electricity price? I've just checked mine is 39 cent a unit. Yes, I'd say he's with electric. Sorry, that person is with electric. Michael, Ireland. Yeah. Uh, they're cheapest now, and I presume that's including VAT. Uh, so the cheapest at the moment, including VAT, is just over 30 cents. So he could get a rate for a year of just over 30 cents. So that would be a, a, a big difference. And if that rate that he said was excluding VAT, uh, he's obviously saving even more because the best rate excluding VAT is now around maybe 28 cents, 27 cents. That's on electricity. So, um, so yeah, he can absolutely save some some big money by um, by saving by switching. Okay, a couple of listeners are asking about smart meter offers where you get free electricity on Saturday or Sunday. What's Dara's view of those? Um, you, you really kind of need to do, I suppose, your your your, your sums or just think carefully as to whether or not you are going to get value out of it. If you are a household that uses a huge amount of electricity at the weekend, it could suit you. But remember that you are paying a slightly higher price uh, at other stages throughout the the week. And also you do need to ask yourself, do you want to be spending your entire Saturday uh, washing the dishes, putting on the dishwasher, <laughs> and putting on the clothes, putting on the tumble dryer? It's really an, an individual, I suppose, decision. Um, and and also, there is usually a limit. Now, it's a high limit, but you would always need to check. There is usually a limit to how much electricity you can actually use. And for most people, it would be fine. Uh, but, you know, don't think that you could use 3,000 kilowatts yeah, of, yeah. of electricity. And um, don't worry. And, and usually, it's, it's only between maybe 11 or eight in the morning and maybe let's say eight in the evening there's usually a time limit as well so just check it out and just look at those T's and C's Yeah and it's how much you're willing to do as you say on the free Saturday or Sunday and you know Bonkers your website is fantastic for helping people to get the best rate I'm I'm specifically thinking of people Dara who maybe have never changed providers or haven't changed providers in years there are definitely savings to be made yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're the ones for whom the biggest savings are there because they're probably on standard rates. How it usually works, and this is the same with broadband and mobile. Usually you sign up, you get a great deal for one year. They kind of maybe keep you sweet and offer you a half, maybe decent deal for the second year, or maybe you negotiate a good deal again for the second year. But then kind of you kind of get a bit tired and suddenly you've been with the supplier three, four, five years. And I can guarantee you the longer you've been with the supplier, the worse value that you're likely to get, unless you're happy to haggle, unless you're happy to switch. Um, so certainly if you've been with either your broadband provider, your TV provider, your car insurance provider for several years make it your business to, to to look at switching or at least comparing the market to make sure that you're on a good deal the odd time Patricia you might actually look at what you're on and say actually oh, well, that's actually a good deal yeah. I've been very very lucky but most times um, if, if you're a little bit lazy let's say um, businesses will just take advantage of us and like listen you know they're out to make money this is what I say to people they're out to make money so you need to make sure that you're looking after your money and you're not leaving it to a business or a company to put you on the best deal you need to do it yourself so yeah, yeah absolutely they, they don't they don't reward years, they don't reward loyalty and that always annoys me okay one very final question in from minister john in blarney says slightly off topic now but could you ask dara please if he sees these price decreases for energy etc does he see that bringing down the cost of inflation and if so will that feed into a possible ecb rate decrease in 2024 which will be most welcome for mortgage pay- payers like myself says john 
Yeah, good question. So, well, first of all, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, there's 20 countries in the Eurozone. So what happens in Ireland, even if inflation here were to plummet, we'd have to hope that the same thing is happening in other countries. But it probably is. Inflation is beginning to come down. And that caller is right. The fall in energy prices is going to lead to a, a drop in inflation. Now, mind you, it's going to keep prices at quite high levels. So people aren't necessarily going to feel it in their pockets. Because as you know, inflation is just the rate that prices are increasing. If infl- the inflation rate falls, the prices prices can still be going up. But we are seeing inflation fall, and at the moment, there are bets that the ECB will cut interest rates maybe as soon as March or April. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think it's going to be until later in the year. So that could be good for people who are on trackers because they'll see a reduction in their rate. So maybe in June and July, there might be a quarter of a percentage reduction. And then maybe there might be a second one later on in the year. But for people who are on variable rates, or maybe, you know, prospective first-time buyers, Patricia, they mightn't necessarily see a reduction in rates quite so soon because the, 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 the bank doesn't have to respond like it does with a tracker. Uh, mortgage and the banks, believe it or not, have only passed on around half of the mortgage increases or half of the more of the interest rate increases from the ECB to date. So they'll, I think, they'll be slow to pass on the decreases if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, because unless, of course, unless you're a tracker customer, they're in the business of making profits as well. And one final one more, in Skibbereen, could you ask uh, Dara, is it easy to change from one tower from one supplier to another? It, 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 it's literally one of the easiest bills you can possibly change because it can all be done online. There, there's only one electricity network. There's only one gas network. So when you change from Borgage to Electric Ireland or from SSE to Energia, there's no pipes that need to be changed. There's no wires. It's not like broadband where maybe you might need to change box or anything like that. It's all done quickly and easily online. You don't even need to let your existing provider know that they're that, that, that you want to leave. Uh, I, I really can't overemphasize that enough. You just need your MPRN uh, for electricity, your GPRN for gas. You can find both those numbers on a recent bill, uh, a recent meter reading, and then you'll need to give a few personal details and really that's it. And off you go. And, and I would suggest and, yeah. I'll, I'll plug I'll plug you guys at bankers.ie because I, I use your website regularly. Uh, you make the process so easy as well. Yes, and thank you. And like we, we do, and we try to make it as easy as possible. And we try to make it as easy as possible for you know broadband and TV and, and other products as well. But for energy, it really is very, very difficult. And like, listen, if you have some type of affinity with Electric Ireland for some you know reason, you can always switch back again next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the kettle isn't going to boil any differently than uh, if you were <laughs> one provider over the other. You know, Jara, uh, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And in thanks, case we go, we we don't speak before Christmas, have a great Christmas, and thanks you for too. all your contributions during the year. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, the wonderful Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie, which is, I say, it's a fantastic uh, website. Now, some of your calls and comments. Uh, we had a call early this morning in from Eileen to say a few very, very worried people in Eileen's household this morning. They knew the day was coming, but the threat of losing your job anytime is bad. But to hear that news just before Christmas, Eileen, of course, uh, talking about the uh, job losses, the redundancies at WM uh, Ware. And Eileen says two of her family members uh, work there. That is real, real devastating uh, news in Eileen's uh, family and for the other workers of WM uh, Ware. And I know the Taoiseach uh, said that he's been speaking to the company and they've assured the government that where possible, they'll keep the job losses to a minimum. But the proposal 
at the moment is for 360 redundancies. That's a lot of uh, job losses uh, and it'll be at its Irish operation. Most of them are expected to be in the Balancholic uh, plant. And actually we've spoken about in the Dáil yesterday, the Cork Socialist Party, D.D. McBarry. He described the potential job losses at the firm as a devastating blow to the area. Now, Leo Varadkar has confirmed that the new owners, they're called Broadcom. They've already been in touch with the government and they've begun a consultation process with the uh, staff, but certainly not good news if 360 jobs will go at the Balancholic uh, plant, thinking of all of those workers and hoping that they get a decent redundancy package and then they'll be able to transition to new jobs as quickly as possible. 0818103103 We spoke about the dispute between the knackeries and the rendering plants and the farmers are very much caught in the middle of this because they're left with all these fallen animals and dead animals on their uh, farm. Somebody says, could farmers not simply burn the dead animal? Remember what they did during the BSE or mad cow disease? There was plenty of burning at at the time. No, I mean, they can't even bury the animal themselves without a burial licence. And that's got a lot to do with traceability of animals. And and it is only right and proper from the minute an animal is born until an animal uh, dies. We know exactly where they are and where they've gone and where they've been and that's only right and uh, proper but that's fine when everything is working well, when the knackeries are working well and when the rendering plants are working well but when you've got a break in that chain then something will have to be done and and Tim Lombard did allude to that that they may have to start issuing burial licences but I haven't heard anything that they will be allowed to burn an animal, I think it's burial is what they will have to uh, do. Now we got some reaction to the email that I mentioned from our listener who wants to remain anonymous who headed her email with poor money gift from work. She's out on mat leave for the last nine months. She just got a voucher in the post for €40 Euro and it's from all of the donations that have come in to the ward where she works. It's obviously a nursing home. It's a ward of elderly uh, patients and you know she made the point that over the years she's been working there the patients' families are always very generous particularly at this time of the year and they divvy up everything that comes in and everybody working on the ward gets something out of it and she just felt that there's often hundreds of euros and into the ward and she thought that the €40 Euro she got by way of a gift voucher is miserly and she says it's, it is reflecting badly on her the appreciation of her hard work and she's wondering uh, is she overreacting and she wanted other listeners' thoughts now. Uh, Neve is bringing up about contributions when people are asked to donate in a work pl- workplace. She says regularly uh, where she is working and has worked there'll be a contribution going around you know it's not compulsory if somebody's leaving or somebody's moving to a different department but she says it's always voluntary people People can give as little as €2 Euro and others might give as much as uh, €10. Euro. But it's up to the person and none of us will know what the other person is giving. giving. You never know what's going on behind closed doors. Neve reckons that this listener should be happy to get what she got. Catherine in Middleton said, I'd be happy with €40. Euro. At the end of the day, she said a newborn baby. It'll go a long way towards buying bottle tops, formula and nappies. It certainly will help. Well, the only thing is it's a €40 Euro voucher for a local clothes shop. So she'll have to spend it on her on herself um, but yeah 40 euro to some people can be a lot of money Hi Patricia why should somebody out on maternity leave get any cut of this year's tips at the end of the day she hasn't been working on the ward this year by her own admission she's been out on mat leave for nine months the tips should only be divided amongst the people who are working hard on the ward again it's up to the individuals themselves and the patients to contribute and even a little amount helps remember 40 euro can mean a lot to some people particularly with the current cost of living. Someone else says, I think that listener should be grateful that she received 40 uh, euro. 
she's getting paid to do the job. She's getting paid when she's out on uh, maternity leave. At the end of the day, it's the thought that matters. And I think any gifts given in like that, I think all of them should be given to a local charity. They shouldn't be divided up between the staff because at the end of the day, the staff go to work and they get paid to go to work. Oh, so that's somebody against Christmas boxes. How do people feel about that? If you're in a workplace where you do receive a lot of very generous gifts from from the people that you're looking after, this sister feels all of those should be gathered up and handed to charity. Yvonne says, I know it sounds like a small amount, €40, Euro, uh, but the money in the kitty was probably split between all of the staff. I think every amount should be appreciated. Remember, not all employees get a Christmas gift or get a gift of thanks at all says Yvonne, uh, which is true. Well, I think this listener knows that it wasn't equally divided up because she's been there on previous Christmases and she says that a lot more both money and gifts come come in and if if you were dividing it evenly, she would be getting much more than uh, 40 uh, euro. Hi Patricia, tell that person who got the gift to get a life. It's the thought that counts, not the amount. Okay, so I haven't found anyone who feels that our listener hasn't uh, overreacted. That's the general consensus from our listeners uh, this morning just to be appreciative of what you have received. 0818 103 103 and I started the programme this morning by just reflecting on what's going on in Gaza prompted by the Irish Examiner with that picture they have of that little boy in the ruins of a building holding his head uh, with his little hands and just hunkered down in the middle of possibly what was once his home and they are talking in the paper they have a big two page spread inside where they're talking about a tipping point has arrived in Gaza Trish in Castlehaven says I was so relieved to see the world finally vote for a ceasefire last night at the United Nations. I have no confidence though that Israel will take any notice of that resolution as they have ignored so many in the past. I do question why the rest of the world are not imposing sanctions on Israel as they have done on uh, Russia. Yeah, and actually what also surprised me, I was delighted that there was a vote for a ceasefire, but 10 countries voted against it. Just wonder how could anybody vote against a ceasefire when we're seeing those pictures come out of uh, Gaza? Hi, Patricia, when I see the the children of Gaza, I think, are these children the future Hamas? They will never forget the cruelty that has been inflicted on them. I also know the terrible cruelty that was inflicted on the Israeli people by Hamas on the 7th of October. And I worry about that as well. I particularly worry about that because trauma is being heaped on trauma, horrors mounted on top of horrors. And that what does that do? The cycle of violence just continues. And children in families who never would have had any allegiance towards Hamas are now in a situation where, you know, this is all they're seeing and they will you know, would they grow up to believe that that they have to get back at Israel for what happened to them? But say their parents uh, were killed, they lost their entire family. So yes, is that is are we looking those little children that we're looking at in such desperate conditions? Are we looking at them growing up to be the future of Hamas? I would worry about that as well. And then someone else is on the Israeli side says stop blaming Israel. Keep prodding the tiger and it's going to bite. It's a war. Why should Israel let the Palestinians attack them? They have a right to fight for their country. And they do. And I did say that, that everybody, you know, every right-minded person condemns what happens on the 7th of October. But there are rules of war and they're not abiding by rules of war. I mean, even if you even compare now the likes of 
the power that Israel has against Hamas. And when you look at Hamas, who are a terrorist organisation, I'm not taking for that, but that's not even a fair fight when you look at the weaponry that Hamas has versus the weaponry that Israel has. And Israel has a lot of weaponry because of uh, the US government uh, backing them and, and uh, supplying them. But what about the rules of, of war? And what about, you know, it's the civilian population, the collective punishment of the civilian population. That simply isn't right and it just has to stop. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. We thank you for your thoughts and comments. And then Anne wants to raise an issue of a worrying article that she read in today's Irish Independent I'll have to track this uh, article down, Anne. But it's about the importation of diseased sapling hedges that we need to be very careful about because they're carrying a disease that seriously can affect our native whitethorn, the rowan trees, our apple trees and our pear trees. Anne says people need to know this and buy known Irish plants ash tree in this country has nearly been wiped out for the same reason. Yeah, that was a disease that was that was imported. Uh, you are right. I mean, we only spoke yesterday about bees and not buying bees online and not importing bees because the effect that that's having on the native Irish bee, particularly the native Irish uh, honeybee. And it's the same with uh, plants. You've got to be really careful. I'll make a note, um, Anne, of your comment because Peter Dowder will be joining us uh, later on on the programme and, and I'm sure Peter will have a view on that as well. But thank you for that. But it's a piece of advice for everyone. Please be very, very careful when you're buying plants and make sure that they are Irish grown plants. 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. EPS in Mallow have vacancies for qualified electricians. It's based in their, the West Cork area. Training and upskilling opportunities will be provided. Email jobs at epswater.com. An admin assistant is wanted for Mill Street. Duties include invoicing, stock management and telephone queries. CVs please to Mairead at millstreetvetgroup.ie. Cow Asian Street Food in Mallow. They've got a vacancy for a full-time waiter or waitress. Now, it's not suitable for students as shifts go across weekdays and weekends. CVs to cow, which is spelled K-H-O-A, manager at gmail.com. And a carpenter is wanted for a project in Mitchellstown. Now, you must have your own van and you need to have your own hand tools. Call 86 0485589. You'll find all of the jobs I've just mentioned and many, many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, recently, the Chief Executive of the Children's Rights Alliance wrote a very hard-hitting letter to the Irish Times newspaper highlighting the issue of food poverty in this country, especially felt by families with children. To talk about the current situation, I'm joined by Julia Hearn. Now, Julia is Director of Legal and Policy Services at the Children's Rights Alliance. Good morning to you, Julie. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, it's the Christmas holidays that you're really worried about. And this is something I hadn't thought about until I read Tanya's letter. It's because children won't have access to the Hot School Meals programme. For some of the children, is that the only substantial meal that they have every day? 
It is. And I mean, we are really concerned when we come around to any holiday time, but I suppose particularly at Christmas when, you know, you're thinking of all the festivities and people, you know, buying in all the the nice little bits. And we know that there are children who are going to go hungry. And in this day and age in the country that we're living in, that is really shocking because a lot of children receive their, their nutritious meals in the day through their school. So they would receive either a cold school meal or in a lot of instances now a hot school meal during term time. But then when it comes to holidays, we know families are really struggling to put that food on the table. And the government have put a lot of effort and a lot of money into increasing the reach of the school meals programme. They have a really ambitious plan that they're making humongous strides on getting every child in Ireland a hot school meal by 2030. That is their plan. And they're really taking really good steps towards that. But unfortunately, when children are not in school, that has been forgotten about. And we in the Children's Rights Alliance, we have over 150 member organisations working across Ireland, including in Cork, on the ground with families. And they are telling us of the devastating hunger that they know families are going to be experiencing. And we know that St Vincent de Paul, one of our members, also sees that throughout the country. So with that in mind, we ran a hot uh, a food provision scheme where we um, were able to secure some funding to try give out to our members so that they could support children and families on the ground over Christmas. And we were really shocked with what came back this year. Um, we were we had a small pot of money and we basically had requests for four times the amount we could provide and up to 8,000 children or 3,000, over 3,000 families who'd be going hungry over Christmas. My God. And what was the, the the idea is with your food provision, you, you give out hampers mm. or something. Is that just to tie people over? Yeah, so that our, yeah, our members working on the ground can give out hampers or food vouchers to families that they work with. So it what the other thing I suppose that really shocks us is that the different types of groups that are contacting us. So we have um, family support organisations throughout the country. We have domestic violence services throughout the country coming to us. And then we also have schools. And, you know, for us, that that is real, I suppose, you know, was really shocking because we had schools who were typically closed during the summer, knowing in the in the Christmas, I mean, knowing that their children that they teach are going to go hungry when they're not in the school. And they're willing to, you know, put the time into making sure that they can either put together hampers or put or get vouchers for these children and families. So it's really shocking the level of need that is out there now. And what we really need to do is to think about what can be done, because while schemes like what we have are really welcome and, you know, and the St. Vincent de Paul, the work they do at Christmas time is really welcome. It's just a sticking plaster. More needs to be done at a systematic level to ensure that families who are on the lowest incomes can actually afford healthy, nutritious food. Yeah. And do the government need to come in with some kind of a scheme for when schools are closed? Because, OK, this is the two weeks of Christmas, then we'll have two weeks at Easter mm. and then we've had a very yeah. long summer holiday. Yeah. And I mean, we here and, and, you know, anyone who has a child, especially a teenager, knows that trying to keep that fridge full over the summer holidays can be incredibly challenging. And, you know, we know that for families with a teenager who are reliant on social welfare, they'd have to spend 30 percent of their income a week to ensure that they have healthy food in the, in the cupboard. So it really is beyond the means of a lot of families to ensure that they have enough food there for their for their children. But what we really need to see is that government step up and look at holiday hunger, because the work 
work they're doing during term time is so important and is having a huge effect on families and is incredibly positive. But it's those gaps, like you said, Easter, midterm, and then that long summer. We need to see a way in which they can use existing community infrastructure because we know, for example, we run a scheme similar to this during the summer and we actually get a lot of youth groups who provide maybe a breakfast club or a lunch club in their local area and they they provide food to children and young people that way. So there are different ways that the government could use the existing infrastructure for relatively little investment that would really make sure that children aren't going hungry outside of school time. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's shocking to think of it. It's just, you know, in 2023, mm. when we talk about uh, a country that, uh, you know, is is a relatively wealthy country. I know people go nuts when I say we're a wealthy country, but we are in comparison to mm. other countries. And when you look at all the money that comes in from corporation tax, uh, and yet we have this cohort of children and they're all over the country. They're not just in yeah. very deprived. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Uh, areas. And, and I think I thought it was interesting to hear you say teachers and schools, because it's the, the teachers they see in their classrooms. They know the children that are going home to yeah. cold houses or, or going home and there'll be no food there. Exactly. And as you said, it's not in just some communities in Ireland, it's in every community across the country. And, you know, we would hear directly from teachers and from schools that, you know, who'd be in maybe even relatively well off areas that, you know, they keep extra food to give to children and young people 
uh, you know, during when times when the school is closed or knowing that, that children might come in hungry, keep a little bit extra so that they can give it to them in the mornings. So really, it is one of these issues that kind of crops up in every community across Ireland. And as you said, for a relatively wealthy country to think that there are children and families that will be going hungry this Christmas, it, it really does just kind of make just makes you stop and think about, well, where are we focusing our priorities? And, you know, we hear the parents or even themselves going without food so that their children can have it. You know, we, there was um, Bernardo's had a study earlier on in the year where they found that 30 percent of uh, parents are having reduced portions or skipping meals to feed their children. So the fact that we're in a situation like this is really shocking. And I suppose for us, it's really acute at Christmas time when, you know, you're seeing those festive lights and people are picking up the nice bits for to have as treats. And then, you know, that these children are going hungry. Yeah, and most of us will pick up too much and after Christmas there'll be waste. We talk about that, we talk about yeah. that uh, every uh, single year. It just, it, 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 it truly, truly is, um, uh, mm. shocking. Um, okay, and, and Judy, the Children's Rights Alliance, you held a conference also on, on children and young people living in, in direct provision. Are you seeing improvements for children in, in direct provision and what more needs to be done there? So really, we had a conference last week around children in direct provision. And really, I suppose, you know, while acknowledging that we're in, you know, a really tough time for the government in terms of numbers of people coming into the country, both from uh, for seeking asylum or people coming through from from the Ukraine after the the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, what we are seeing is conditions rapidly deteriorating within direct provision systems. So at the moment now, you've over 3,000 children in emergency accommodation settings. And, you know, we hear reports that in some of these settings, parents don't have access to anywhere to cook food. You might have, um, you know, a large number of families sharing, a couple, you know, over 100 families sharing one, one or two microwaves and then not even be able to access it, uh, not even full full walls in between families, you know, partitions that might have a gap at the top and the bottom. Um, and really what we're seeing is a deterioration of standards at the moment when it comes to accommodation. And we really need to look at government had a white paper on ending direct provision, which was really ambitious. And they published that in um in 2021. But obviously things have changed now and they're in the process of coming together with a kind of a revised white paper. We need to see an increased focus put on building purpose-built accommodation for people seeking refuge refuge here in Ireland to make sure that they're treated in a humane way and that children and young people are prioritised for that accommodation. Yeah, and we still have that problem with the processing of people who are coming here uh, mm. seeking asylum. It, 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 you know, that system, we've been talking about that for years and it just, it, they never seem to sort the problem. They need to get that process speeded up to either allow people to stay or these people and uh, move on. But in, and in the midst of it, you've got children uh, who are the yeah. real ones who, who are suffering. And then we, we know uh, this week we're hearing changes to how the Ukrainian refugees will mm. be treated uh, from uh, next year. Would you worry about those children that will, that will arrive on our shores n- next year? I mean, I think, you know, when it comes, you know, any child seeking protection here, be it from Ukraine or from another country, we need to ensure that they're going to be treated in a way that is that, you know, is in their best interests. And we need to make sure that they're going to be in accommodation that is suitable, that they have um, added that the parents have adequate means to ensure that they can be fed and that they can be looked after. And I think at the moment what we, you know, government are under immense pressure with the numbers coming in, but we need to start planning in the long term. We know that these numbers aren't going to reduce any time 
anytime soon with all the different different crises going on across the globe. So we need to be building our infrastructure so that we can, you know, ensure that people are given the dignity they deserve when they come here. And particularly for children and young people, we hear from them directly. You know, all they want to do when they come to Ireland is to settle into the local community, attend school and just be like any other child. And, you know, I think sometimes it is, is forgotten that, you know, most of these families are fleeing different wars they're fleeing from persecution so they're coming from really difficult situations and all they want to do is to be safe and to make friends and to go to school so we need to make sure that we have the structures in place that can do that for children young people that they're treated with dignity and that they're given what they need to integrate properly into our society yeah, and, and actually, Julie, just to hear you talk about children, I, I started the programme by, by mentioning, you know, Gaza and the, and the tipping point that seems mm. to be in, in Gaza. And I, I've got to the stage where I just find it really hard to watch the news uh, every night. The, the, the children in Gaza, I mean, how will they ever, those that manage to survive, how do they ever recover from what they've witnessed? Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's you know, when children are in, in conflict like that, I mean, like yourself, you know, it's so hard to watch and it's so hard to see this happening. And, you know, a lot of children who've come to Ireland would be fleeing conflict. And for those children in Gaza, I mean, the trauma that they are that they are undergoing at the moment is immense. And you can only imagine how difficult it is. And I suppose, you know, if you look at the international um, rights of children, you know, they've a right to be safe. They've a right to be minded. They've a right to be looked after and to get the support they need. And we need to make sure that children in the context of all of these issues are prioritised because we know the impact of these events can have on their, their mental health, on their physical health and just on their general well-being. Yeah, it's shocking. It's shocking. Listen, uh, Julie, continue good luck. You do amazing work at the Children's Rights uh, Alliance and we thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks, Patricia. Take uh, care. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Julia Hearn and Julie is the Director of Legal and Policy Services at the Children's Rights uh, Alliance. Just, you know, we all need to bear that in mind as we're prepping and preparing for uh, Christmas that unfortunately this winter and this Christmas there will be children in families going hungry. Now, with less than two weeks to Christmas Day, people are continuing to prepare and get ready for this year's festive season. So wouldn't it be great if we all had a greener, more sustainable Christmas this year? Offer words of advice. I'm joined by Carmel Wright. Now, Carmel is a former climate ambassador and she's known online as the Irish Mammy Goes uh, Green. Good morning to you, Carmel. Good morning, Patricia. And, and How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. OK, let's start with gifts at Christmas because gifts are one of the things we all like to give, we all like uh, to receive. But do we need to stop and think about what we're actually giving? I mean, for example, like how many amount of bath sets does Auntie Betty really need? Do we need to just stop and reflect a little bit? Absolutely. And I think that's what it's all about. Like, I love Christmas as much as anybody else, but I think it's about pressing the pause button before we go into, you know, that manic shopping mode and going, what do I actually want to give? Uh, what would add meaning to another person's uh, day and life? Um, and do we actually need to be spending all this money to express how we feel about another person. There's lots of other ways we can give over the Christmas holidays. In fact, 50% of the gifts that are given around Christmas aren't really used by people who receive them. So um, it's something to bear in mind. Yeah, and there are a number, and, uh, there are a number of different things you can do. I mean, I think Chris Crindle is, is a brilliant option. 
Absolutely. It's a really practical way to go about it. You know, you pick one person out of the group. You can do it by pulling names out of a hat. Or these days, a lot of people rely on apps to do it, which is very convenient as well if you're uh, doing with people who are far away. Um, And it's just a really simple way. You know, you get one good quality, more expensive gift than lots of random bits that chances are you may not use or want. Yeah, you talk to anyone in, um, in a charity shop after Christmas and they'll tell you the amount of unwanted gifts. Great for the charity shop, but it just proves people are giving items that somebody else uh, doesn't need. Uh, local gift vouchers are another good one, particularly if you get artists and producers. Absolutely. And I think it's really important that we look at supporting the local economy. It's very easy to order things online these days. But if you go into your local town and I have to uh, champion Kinsale now because I am based in Kinsale, they have fantastic shops in Kinsale, wonderful uh, businesses to support the good food circle in Kinsale. You can get a voucher and it gives people something to look forward to after Christmas because there's so much hype about Christmas that come January. You know, it's lovely to have that thing like a voucher, whether it's a spa treatment, uh, a lunch out, something like that, that will put a spring in your step um, after the holiday season ends. And one of my um, ones that I like to give, uh, particularly for, I have a brother of mine who's who's vegan and he's always very hard to buy for over the years. Um, and, and he's got, you know, he believes in, in a lot of different campaigns or whatever. Uh, he loves if I give him a charity donation in his name to you know some cause that he's he, he he's particularly invested in and i i think that is Absolutely. a nice i think that's a lovely thing to do it really is. And I think it's really like reflective. The reality is we all have more stuff than we'll ever need. You know, we don't really need that extra, you know, pair of uh, socks or jumper or whatever like that. We have plenty. Um, what what we need to do is kind of focus more on giving. And it's, you know, particularly just after coming straight after your segment with Julie about the, the poverty and the, the challenges that are currently in the communities around us. So, you know, there's Bernardo's, St. Vincent de Paul and further afield with with what's happening in Gaza and the ongoing war in Ukraine. There's so many great options of how we can give, um, you know, and I, I think it, it means a lot as well. And it's feeding into the true meaning of Christmas as well. OK, Lorraine says the best thing you can give somebody is the gift of time. Lorraine says about five years ago, after I had my first child, my sister gave me a voucher for five babysitting weekends where she took the little one away and gave us five weekends free. Oh, very generous sister. Wow. Isn't that lovely? Oh, my goodness. Great idea. Great. As a mum of two, I can say that the childcare <laughs> is one of the best gifts you can get. Yeah, get, get work. And that's it. it <laughs> it's 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 about that real thought behind it though because that yeah. is so much more appreciated than you know any kind of lavish brand name whatever it is it's 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 time absolutely and time spent together as well at christmas is is a great gift as well yeah uh, and then the smallies obviously santa claus will be uh, arriving you can have a chat uh, to children because santa claus is is going very green isn't he Absolutely. And I think it's important that Santa is consistent with everyone so that like Santa gives, you know, one decent present and and maybe looks at, you know, the the stocking fillers that are being given as well. There's lots of wonderful um, options. Um, You know, Jiminy is one online that's very good for eco. It's an eco store in Ireland. Um, But there's lots of options that are more sustainable. And Santa's all into going green because he cares very much about the planet as well and then for the, um, for the children so it is important I think I think with the toys and the flashing lights those type of toys are ones that you know 
they're great for about a day. <laughs> they're great for about a day and then they lose their appeal. So the more open-ended the toy is for playing with, the better really. It's something that's got longevity, whether it's, you know, um, Lego bricks where they can build anything and they can build for years with it. They, they get the mileage out of the gift. Yeah. Um, the, the gimmicky flashing light things, not so much. Yeah, my 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 son has a, a box of Lego that he had has has had as a child a bucket of Lego that his boys now play with, and I do, I love the idea of how long that Lego has lasted. Absolutely, my mum is the same. One when um, my my kids call over to play, she still has some toys from from when we were young that you know oh, were good quality, made to last, and they're still they're still doing uh, doing some good and being played with. And with the, with the children, I mean, you've a, a weekend coming up now before Christmas. Get the children to make gifts. I mean, you know, Granny and the aunts and the uncles love the idea of a handmade gift. From from a much of child, and, and you know, and and, then, and it's a really meaningful gift that you know adds to the you know memory bank that we have for Christmas time when you've got this gift that you're taking out of your box and you go, oh, I remember when Tara was five and she made this for me, and it it, it adds to that whole feeling of family and connection at Christmas time that I think is so important. And, you know, there's so many, the great thing about the internet era that we're living in is there's so many ideas you can get online for, you know, what you want to make or how you want to make it. And then it, it becomes that family experience of making things together. OK, can I suggest to people to Google water beads? That's become my new big thing at home at the moment. Absolutely love making stuff with them. And it's brilliant for children. Children love getting involved in, in, in water beads. Now, after the gifts, I think food waste, Carmel, is probably, you know, it's a huge, huge issue at Christmas. Do we simply just buy too much? I think we all have a tendency, and I'm not immune to this myself, <laughs> of going a little bit bonkers at Christmas time. Buying, and also this kind of buying in case someone calls that you mightn't have enough of, you know, whatever. But we usually have more than enough. And the thing is, we also think that the shops are going to be closed for two weeks over Christmas. They're not. They're closed for maybe a day. And there's probably a shop that's open somewhere if you got really stuck. But we, we don't need to buy as much as we're done buying. Um, I think we also need to look at, you know, really how much meat do we need to be serving? Um, because meat is, in terms of sustainability, um, you know, and for health, more vegetables on the plate and a little bit less meat. If we all did that, it, it would be better overall. Um, it, we can also look at how we prepare our foods. The freezer is your best friend when it comes to reducing food waste, I think, um, in regards to, you know, you can prep and prepare, pop it in the freezer and um, you've got a long time to play around with then for using it up. Um, and then you can also look at making new Christmas food traditions. Like, for example, some people don't like turkey, you know, yeah. Why are you buying this big bird yeah. <laughs> if you don't even like it? Um, so it's about going, OK, this is what everyone does generally. But what do I want to do? Um, and also about getting clever with your leftovers. So, you know, if you've got this giant hunk of turkey, um, it, making sure you kind of pop it into soups, sandwiches, curries, the whole lot. Um, and. You know, when you think about it, and I suppose this is the thing, when you're throwing away, let's say, uh, an apple that's gone off in the, the bottom of the fridge thing. I've, I've got kids who bring apples to and from school. The same <laughs> apple goes to and from school, possibly for up to a week. But <laughs> when we think about one apple, if one apple is being thrown out, you kind of look at it and go, OK, it's one apple. It's not a big deal. 
But there's about 125 litres of water goes into growing that apple alone, never mind uh, the farmer's time, effort and resources of the soil and everything else that goes into it. So like if we start looking at the food, more of more of what goes into growing the food as opposed to just the food item itself. Yeah. And then the the tree, for for those who haven't put the tree up yet, are you real or artificial? What's your view on that? I have had the same artificial tree on the go for, uh, I'd say, about 15 years now. Go you! It owes owes me nothing and it will continue to owe me nothing because um, I just use it, take care of it, put it back in the attic and take it down every single year. Um, Now, there's lots of ways to be, you know, sustainable at Christmas. Um, A real tree is obviously, if if you're buying first day, a real tree is obviously lovely to have. And you can also rent trees, which is amazing. And they're kept in a pot and then they're returned to the farm and and they're cared for. So I think that's a really lovely idea for people who may not have a tree yet. I do think that, like, you know, there's become this thing of changing your Christmas theme every year and colouring every year. And that creates a lot of excess and purchasing and disposing of, you know, previous themes and stuff like that. And I think it's totally unnecessary. You know, part of the magic of Christmas is reliving the memories of Christmas past and, you know, taking out the same decorations. And and like we spoke about earlier, some of them being homemade and going, oh, I remember when you made that and play school and things like that. And and that's what, you know, um, that's a great way to celebrate Christmas. It's it's all Um, part of the And making those homemade ones and also... um, uh, I think for decorating in general, sourcing a little bit from nature too. So, you know, a little sprig of holly over um, over some picture frames is, 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 is a lovely little touch. Uh, things like that. OK, and of course, you have your, your social media platform, Irish Mammy Goes uh, Green, sharing accessible tips for going green. Before I let you go, because I did mention at the outset, you were, uh, you, you did volunteer as a climate ambassador. You've obviously been keeping a close eye on COP28. Uh, they got some agreement finally this morning. Yes, I haven't had a chance to read up on that yet today because okay. I've been working. Um, but um you know, every year they're making progress. I think that, I think, you know, um, I think it's finally starting to become much more serious um, and, and people are starting to take note. Um, so, uh, yeah, I look forward to reading well, yeah, about we that. Uh, well, I tell you what struck me, Carmel, was it, it's it's marked the first mention at all of fossil fuels in the 28 years of climate summits. I just thought, goodness me, they've been running away and and avoiding it. It has taken a long time, but it looks like this. It's a step in the right direction. Listen, real pleasure speaking to you, Carmen. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have Good a great morning, holiday. You too. You too. That is Carmel uh, Wright, uh, who goes as the Irish uh, Mammy Goes Green on social media. C103's Christmas Covered. With Super Value Gift Cards. Perfect for every occasion. Available in store or online for e-gift cards that can be sent with a personal message. Search Super Value Gift Card. That means you can stop texting us, please, uh, because we have all our entries in and we have uh, selected our qualifier for today. Day, and that is, I need to go to the screen. It's Sharon Forsyth in in Whitegate. Uh, good afternoon, Sharon. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. You sound a little bit excited. I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have, you, have you many to buy for Christmas? No, three you, girls. Oh, goodness. Are you nearly there, nearly organised? Nearly there, nearly there. But it's the big shop is left, isn't it? 
I know, sure I know, yeah. Yeah, and you, you, do you and is there a local, you've got a super value, have you? Close we do by? in Middleton, Middleton. Yeah, so you'd be in there. Would you, would you blow the 500 euro? Would you have any problem spending it? No problem. <laughs> eat all around them here, yeah. <laughs> Are they teenagers? Uh, one, two, a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old. All right, OK. Yeah, they are. They're, they can all be hungry, particularly the teenagers. We only mentioned that earlier. Anyway, I've got a question for you. In the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, what type of bird is in the pear tree? Is it A, a budgie? Or is it B, a partridge? Oh, it's definitely a <laughs> It is indeed. I hit the button before you'd even said it because I knew you were going to get that one right. Okay, you're the qualifier on the programme today, Sharon. Keep the phone on because after six, if that phone rings and it's our Martina at the other end of the line, you'll be one happy woman because oh, you'll, you'll be 500 euro better off. Listen, that'll jo- be amazing. It'll be Thanks lovely. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Thanks Thank a million. Bye-bye, bye bye. Uh, Sharon Forsyth in Whitegate becoming our latest uh, qualifier and we'll have a one in four chance now with Martina this afternoon of winning the 500 euro super value gift card at C103's Christmas covered yesterday's winner was Myra O'Connell in Ballygarvan a happy lady Uh, will our Sharon be a happy lady today we're going to have to wait until after six to find out and C103's Christmas covered with super value gift cards they're perfect for every occasion now they're available in store or you can get them online for e-gift cards and they can be sent out with any kind of a personal message that you want to add to it. You simply search Super Value Gift Cards and make sure you're tuned Nick's way this afternoon because he'll look for another qualifier for C103's Christmas covered. 0818103103. John Paul it taking your calls in particular. It's Wednesday, so we are looking for questions. If you have questions for Peter Dowdle, you can get those into us now and we're also clear the text and WhatsApp service if you've got a text or if you want to text or WhatsApp in a question for Peter Dowdle our resident gardener you can get texting now or WhatsApping 86 Let's take a look back at some of your calls and comments that have been coming into the programme. John contacted us he's a little bit annoyed uh, today and this is to do with office work parties. We're starting to see Covid obviously stopped all of the Christmas parties but they seem to be back with a vengeance this year. But John worked with a company that I'm assuming is a nationwide company and he's one of the managers, the reps who's out on the road. There's only two of them are out on the road and everybody else then seems to be based. I don't know where but and I'm assuming it's not here in Cork or Kerry, it's somewhere up the country. Anyway, he was talking to one of his colleagues in the main office who sort of said to him last week, are you going on Friday night? And he said, going to what? And see me, there was an office party on that John and the other colleague who's out on the road weren't even, to- weren't even told about. Now, he does admit he probably wouldn't have gone, but he said it would have been nice to be asked to the Christmas uh, party. And he's wondering, have others seen that where you just have two people are out on the road and they are excluded? Uh, he also said it's coming to that time of year where they'll be getting their bonuses, kind of the end of the year bonus. And he's wondering when he gets to chat with his manager, uh, should he be mentioning the fact that he wasn't invited to the party? Well, listen, if you're taking umbrage to it, I certainly would mention it. And even though, as you say yourself, you wouldn't have gone. But I would say if you're sitting down with the manager, which obviously you do at the end of uh, the year and they're going to be discussing bonuses. Wait until you get your bonus first, though. You know, box clever here, uh, John. But then I certainly would say as, as a kind of a parting gift as I was leaving, say, by the way, I heard you at the Christmas party. It would have been nice to have been invited. That would be my uh, suggestion. Anybody else want to give John advice? So 
103. Michael in Castletown Roach says he knows of people that work in the HSE and they don't get any Christmas bonus or anything for all the hard work that they do. That that lady who was giving out uh, out on mat leave, getting a 40 euro voucher. She should be very thankful for it. And Siobhan says, has, has our listener who contacted us who wants to remain anonymous, has she thought about this year and with the cost of living and that families don't have as much to give as they gave on previous years? Is it possible that not as much items and not as much cash, cash was handed into the nursing home where this uh, listener works? Because obviously she's been out on Matley for the last uh, nine months, so she wouldn't know. I don't know. I, I, I simply don't know. But she says, Certainly in previous years, a lot of money and a lot of gifts uh, come in. And that's why she thought the voucher that she received in the post was a little bit miserly. We were talking about having a sustainable uh, Christmas. Lovely chat with uh, Carmel Wright. Really enjoyed um, <coughs> Carmel and, uh, and her chat. And we're just trying to look at Christmas a little bit different this year. Tried to go a little bit green. Tried to be more sustainable. And there's been so much talk, particularly with the COP28 uh, on at the moment. Uh, we know we have to do something to save this beautiful place planet of ours, certainly, if we want to hand it on to the next uh, generation. But one of the things that we spoke about was about toys and buying sustainable toys and maybe talking to the smallies that Santa Claus has even gone a little bit green and to think about more sustainable toys when you're buying them. And I mentioned Lego and how my son's box of Lego now, his children get to play with. And I think there's something lovely about that. And and Lego is one of those fantastic uh, toys that really has stood the test of time and is still, you'll see it, it's still every year when it comes out you know the top list of toys Lego was always up there uh, it reminded Bill in Clonakilty back in 1964 when he was just a small lad his father gave him a Meccano set now for people who don't know I don't even know is Meccano are they still making Meccano I don't know if they are I think it got replaced by something else anyway it's like metal Lego and uh, he said anyway he was delighted when he got this Meccano set and he said for the first for the next couple of years after that he started to build up a Meccano collection. Obviously, Santa Claus decided that Bill and Clannacilty liked the Meccano sets and kept bringing it for a number of years. And he says, would you believe that was back in 1964? So you're talking 60 years ago next year since Bill got his first Meccano set. He reckons 90% of those Meccano sets he still has and... He still uses them. Hasn't passed them on to anyone else. He still gets enjoyment out of it. He said only recently it was a wet evening. Nothing on the telly he wanted to watch. He'd nowhere to go. So he dug out his Meccano and he said he sat there for the evening and he made a crane. And he said it was great. That's fantastic idea. Also, he said when we're talking about going green this Christmas, he remembers his mother. His mother used to get a turnip. She'd drill a hole in the middle of the turnip and then she'd put a candle into it and the turnip then was used to hold the Christmas candle and she would wrap the turnip up in red crepe paper so it looked like a kind of a bowl with the candle inside in it and she said he said as the candle started to burn she'd be folding down the crepe paper to make sure that the crepe paper didn't go on fire. I'm sure that's one of the things that um, Alice Taylor talks about you know we'll we'll speak with Alice Friday week we always it's normally Christmas Eve or we'll be on Christmas Eve because it's a Sunday this year but always on our last programme before Christmas we always We've a, we've a great tradition going with Alice and we talk about 
times past. I'm sure one of her stories is to do with that, is to do with the uh, turn up and cutting out the middle of the turn up and then you hold the candle inside. And it's obviously a safe way to hold the candle uh, as well. Lovely memories, uh, Bill, that you are reminiscing about uh, today. 0818103103. And then another listener, there's no name on this. Hi, Patricia. I really, really, really loved that interview with Carmel about a sustainable Christmas. I was reared by an environmentalist and I'm so glad to hear such absolute sense coming out over the airwaves today. Waste wrecks my head. And the old adage that enough is as food as a feast should be. If we could only get that repeated in homes and schools, it would help us reduce the drive for overconsumption. An excellent interview. What would we do without you, Patricia? <laughs> Thank you. That's very, very kind of you and I'm glad you enjoyed it. I have to say I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed uh, my chat with Carmel as well. And then Martin in uh, West Cork. This is when we were talking about that really sad interview uh, with Julie from the Children's Rights Alliance talking about children that will go hungry this year. And then I was talking about the kids in, in Gaza and what's happening there. God, it's a tough, tough world for, for some children today, unfortunately. And Martin says, I've no problem with the EU, but their decisions around the culling of cows and the benefits that they say it will bring. And yet here we have on your programme thinking about children that are going hungry. Those children are going hungry in the same country where the EU are going to tell cow, going to tell farmers that cows have to be uh, culled. It almost sounds like a mortal sin. So says Martin in uh, West Cork. And can I just stay on the subject of Gaza? Seeing as I mentioned Gaza, there a really good email in from Suba to Cork today at c103.ie saying, Patricia, so many of us all over Ireland and the world want there to be a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. Over 20,000 human beings have been killed. Innocent men, women and children. People all over the world are preparing to celebrate Christmas and the birth of a particular Palestinian baby whose life was also at risk and had to flee persecution. Yet, over 2,000 years later, we are witnessing newborns in incubators dying due to lack of electricity. Children dead in their parents' arms. Over 25,000 children orphaned. Christmas celebrations have been cancelled in Bethlehem in solidarity with the Palestinian people. We need to ask ourselves, what kind of a world are we creating for our children where some lives are considered more equal than others? We also need to think about what kind of a global community we want to live in. We teach our children about the values of kindness, about the values of compassion, doing the right thing, and using words instead of fists and guns. But if adults are not embodying this behaviour, how on earth do we expect the next generation to uphold these values? The inhumane cruelty needs to stop. Ceasefire now. That's a really, really good email. And just summing up man's inhumanity to man and what somebody else has said for those children growing up witnessing that. I mean, that's all they're learning. And, and children learn by what they see. All they're seeing, unfortunately, is a violence. Thank you for that. Emailing Cork today at c103.ie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council reminding you to support local when choosing gifts this Christmas. 
There's a half an hour left on a open morning at the Cork College of Further Education at their Bandon Centre. It's on until one. It's a chance to meet the team, see the courses on offer at the centre and proceeds from the coffee morning are going to the Bandon Daycare Centre. Still time for you to go along. Students of Skullwira in Kanturk are presenting Greece. It runs tonight, uh, Thursday and Friday. Doors open at seven with admission 10 euro. A selection of photographs from Peninsula people will be exhibited in Kinsale Library uh, today. The official launch will take place at three this afternoon and the book is on sale in local bookshops, all proceeds going towards the maintenance of the museum. Sponsorship cards are out now for the Skull Christmas Day Swim. It's in aid of the Cope Foundation. You can email skullchristmasswim at gmail.com for further details. Kildallery Parish Pastoral Council are inviting you to their concert of Music for Christmas. It's by the Glenstall School Choir. It's in St. Bartholomew's Church in Kildallery. Starts at seven tonight. All proceeds raised through a basket collection will go to the repair of the church bells in both St. Bartholomew's and St. Malaga's churches. The story of Margaret Buckley, the first female president of an Irish political party, will be recalled by Anne Toomey. It's in Kofa House on Church Street in Cork. That's tonight at seven. All are welcome. And a reminder to you that choir practice continues in the Donnerea Presentation Pastoral Centre tonight at seven. New members are particularly welcome and musicians are also welcome to attend. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A listener was on. She wants to highlight an issue that she says is at St Mary's Secondary School. That's a, a girls' secondary school in Mallow. And she said they don't have a cat canteen where a student can purchase a hot meal. The, the students have to bring in lunch or else go to a local shop in the pouring rain, which in this day and age is ridiculous. I've seen some students going back into school soaked wet at lunch time. Uh, please don't call out my name as I'd like to remain anonymous as I have a few girls still in the school. Um, I don't know of many secondary schools that actually have a canteen where you could go in and buy hot food. What we were talking about earlier is the primary schools that give the free hot meals that are given out by the Department of Education. I don't know if anyone can tell us any secondary schools where they actually have a canteen that sell hot meals to their uh, students. And I know I pass uh, a secondary school nearly every day and if I get out early and I pass it at lunchtime, I see students heading out to various shops to buy uh, their lunch. And yes, in the pouring rain, they won't have a jacket on them and they don't care and they don't seem to feel the wet and the cold uh, at all. But it always strikes me, why why are students not just bringing in a packed lunch with them? I mean, nobody goes home like we used to once upon a time. So I just don't know, particularly when, we, when you know the weather is going to be bad, I would be saying to the students, you know, and their mums and dads, it's going to be wet tomorrow, bring in a packed lunch. It's OK if it's fine weather and you want to pop, pop to the shop. It's also a cost involved uh, for parents if they're handing out lunch money every day, you know, for somebody to go to a local deli or to uh, a local store. Anyway, your thoughts welcomed on that and if you can let us know if you know of any secondary school that actually has a canteen that sells hot food to students and not the free meals. We're not talking about that that's given out in primary schools. 0818 103 103 
Um, playing with toys, sustainable toys. Here's a lovely one. My granddaughter is now playing with tea sets and other toys that her mammy had over 46 years ago. When she outgrows them, they'll be packed away again with love. And she knows when she's playing with them that they belonged to her mammy when her mammy was a little girl. I love that. And children love the idea of that. And this one made me smile when we were talking about Santa has gone green this year. And, you know, it was one of the advice that Carmel, our environmentalist, gave talk to your children about Santa going green. Somebody says, what does Santa give to bold children these days? As he clearly can't put a lump of coal anymore as it wouldn't be environmentally friendly. I have no idea how Santa gets around that. And then Michael was listening to our interview uh, with the the Children's Rights Alliance and Julie talking about children going hungry and she mentioned that uh, Societies of Vincent de Paul was one of the charities that she said thankfully they're there and they're really helping uh, people. Uh, Micah said I listened with great interest to Julie speaking and it really is so sad to hear of children and families being hungry and families who are genuinely struggling. It is just so sad. I always support the Societies of Vincent de Paul every year as best I can. But says Michael. I know of people who are receiving coal and other items from them who I know for a fact are better off than I am. This worries me as it may put other people off giving badly needed support for genuine families who are struggling in so many ways. Policies of who are supported need to be better vetted in a minority of cases, so says Michael. Uh, Thank you for your text, Michael, and good to know that you are, are supporting Society of Vincent de Paul because they're a wonderful organisation. This issue comes up, I would say, every single year we'll get somebody like your good self who'll say, oh, I know of somebody and they're better off than I am. And I know I've often spoken with volunteers from the Society of Vincent de Paul and I put that point to them. And time and time again, the volunteers will say, be very careful when you're going to criticise somebody down the road who's getting coal from St Vincent de Paul or somebody up the road that you saw a hamper being uh, delivered. Nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. And even listening to Julie from the Children's Rights Alliance and they're in discussion with teachers and teachers know at first hand the children that are coming into school, you know, cold and hungry and they know the children that are going to go home to houses that won't have any food. And this isn't just in very deprived areas. They're hearing about it from families all over the country. No one knows what, what families are putting up with. Nobody knows, for example, a family could be really struggling because they might have a high mortgage, their rent could be very high. They're putting every single cent into covering, you know, keeping the roof over their heads. There are other families who, God help them, are struggling with addiction. Somebody in the household has an addiction to drink, has an addiction to, to gambling, to drugs. Again, on the outside, people don't even see it. And then there's somebody, another parent trying to pick up the pieces, trying to put the food on the table for their children, trying to put the coal in the fire to keep the house warm. So I'm always very, very careful about criticising somebody else if they are receiving the help then all you can say is well isn't it great that Society of Institute Paul is there to help people and will there always be people who will try and scam the system probably but they are very very much in the minority the volunteers of Vincent de Paul are doing this work for so many years and at this stage they can well identify the very genuine cases from the people who are just trying to scam the system so please Michael don't in any way 
be put off supporting VDP. They are a wonderful, wonderful organisation. And thank you for your text to 0862103103. With a reminder for gardening questions, please get those into us now. Now, uh, we hit the streets of Mallow this week because we wanted to ask people how they will be spending their Christmas day this year. Here's how we got on. Just staying at home, yeah. Kind of like a family occasion. Yeah, we always do like. We go ahead and visit my mother, who will be 89 in February. She lives in Budavant. My mother is the same. She'll be 84 in April and she's in Budavant as well. Well, so you get two words at one stone. We do. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Plus family. <laughs> we will go down to them because, to because they're kind of two independent women. And they're not so. uh, as mobile as they used to be. So. so we go and visit them and see how they're doing. And they love seeing the grandkids. Even though the grandkids are about 24, 25, <laughs> the youngest, like. <laughs> Been didn't know my son, to be honest, as I look forward to it. Good old time for year of the year now for the kids, so looking forward to it. Are you staying in Mellow? I am indeed. Any other visits? Oh, yeah, of course. Loads, family, friends, lessons, you know yourself. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much. No. Same to yourself. Yep. Just at home with my family. Anybody to visit? Just family, family, that's all. We have two Christmases. I'm going to my son's in Tipperary, the 17th, and I'm going to my other son here in Maladin for Christmas Day. Very good. Any plans going into the new year then? No, not yet. <laughs> Looking forward to it? Yeah. I haven't seen my two granddaughters for a while in Tip, so it'll be great to go up to see them. It'll be a quiet Christmas, yeah. very quiet Christmas. I think it's just quite everywhere. Like. Are you doing any visits? I'm actually going to go to the homeless people on the street in the city and just give out a few gifts to them. You know, there's more misfortunes in me so whereabouts in England are you going to? Devon. How long are you gone for? Two weeks. Yes. Yeah, very good. Are you visiting family or are you just going over for the holiday? Family. Who lives over there? A son. Where family are coming home. Where are they coming from? Dublin and Jersey. Canon Ireland. Yeah. Anyone coming from farther afield? No, no. Dead home with family. Is Couple days off. Anybody coming to visit? No. Just myself and my family. We are actually going away on St. Simon's Day. Where are you going to? Berlin. And we're staying in Berlin four days. We're staying in Budapest for three days and Edinburgh for five days. I'm staying at home. Staying at home. Chilling out. Yeah. yeah. Bring my mum home and have dinner there. Where is she coming from? Mallow. And I'm in Casamarta, so she's going to come to us for a few days. I'm going to cook my dinner on Christmas Day. My family, there'll be ten of us. Hopefully, we'll enjoy it. Where are the family coming from? They're here in Ireland, them all, and I have a son in Middle East, but they're not coming home this Christmas. Working. Where do you work? Done stores. Oh, flat out. <laughs> Any plans for Christmas Day? I don't actually celebrate Christmas Day. Yeah, we celebrate Christmas Eve because oh, we're right. foreign. <laughs> yes. where, where are you from? I'm from Lithuania. Chilla's from Hungary. So, what, have you got any plans for Christmas? Stay home with the family. Is there anybody coming to visit? No, not this no. year, yeah. Ah, there you go. It's all about family, uh, isn't it? Um, and thank you to Stephen Fox, our reporter, who was out on the streets of Mallon. Thank you to everybody who took time out to talk with uh, Stephen. Somebody wants to know. Does any of the listeners know where somebody can get a tall red candle? There's obviously a lot of small red candles. I actually bought some small ones the other day. But this is uh, obviously for some kind of a floral display. A tall red candle. Anybody seen them in your travels? If so, let us know. Hi, Patricia. You can't call a child bold anymore. It's not very PC. That was the listener who was wondering if a child is bold anymore, that Santa Claus can't give them a lump of coal anymore because it's not environmentally uh, friendly. And someone else says, Patricia, I mind children. And one mum told me that if the children 
children are playing up in the lead up uh, to Christmas, she says Santa Claus is going to bring them a toilet roll. So Santa Claus is gone. Totally environmentally uh, friendly. Thank you for that. 0818103103. Let's turn our attention to gardening. Have you a gardening question? Something that Peter can sort out for you. You can text her WhatsApp 0862103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. I'm Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very good. I just love when I look out the window, it's a blue sky and the sun shining. It's one of those nice winter days, which is uh, terrific. OK, let's get uh, straight into questions. This is an interesting one that came in from Anne earlier on. Now, I haven't seen this article yet, but she said there's a worrying article in the Irish Independent today, and it's about imported diseased sapling hedges that carry a disease, she says, that can seriously affect our native white thorn, rowan trees, apple and pear trees. And she's making the point that people need to know this and to buy known Irish plants. As she says, ash trees were nearly wiped out for the same reason. And uh, when she sent it in, I said, I'd, I'd get your theory on it. Too. Have you heard about this? Do you know, I haven't heard about that one. That is a worry, but uh, I, the Department of Agriculture are normally quite good at notifying us when, when there is something, but I haven't heard about that one. But she's right. She does make a very interesting point. And the provenance of, of our plants is is important, but like we've the, the ash dieback, there's also the horse chestnut, but and of course many years ago there was Dutch elm disease. Now many of the elms have, have recovered since. But um it just I suppose in, in the modern age and the modern day of, of international plant trade and it's it's a risk and it, it, i suppose she's absolutely right to to bring people's attention to it um I, I i wasn't aware of it and it's it's just something where possible look for look for the provenance of hedging that you're growing uh, if it's irish and so much the better but um just look always for disease free stock when you're when you're buying anything if this if this disease does become a problem i've no doubt embargoes will be put on the trade of it internationally or the, of of any of the whole species but i'm just not aware of it at the moment yeah because it was it was only yesterday i had the national beekeepers association on and they were advising people not to give bees for christmas something i was unaware of you can buy a, a colony of bees they're being shipped in from abroad and of course they're not native Irish bees and they're causing huge problems to the bee population our native species Absolutely and I, I was listening to you talking about it yesterday Trish I didn't hear the whole the whole bit but I was listening to it uh, and I, I wasn't aware that you could buy them in like that either and that is that is something that I would discourage as well and I was thinking when I was listening to it there there's blackwater honey or blackwater bees which are obviously based in North Cork and they've, they've, uh, they, they keep bees in different parts of the country um, but I know they do an adopt a hive scheme. Well, now that for me would make, and I've adopted one before. That makes a much for me a much better Christmas present. You're paying for professional people who know what they're doing. To to uh, you're paying for a hive of it if you like. So it's in your name or in the gift. You give it as a gift. It's in whoever's name you want it to be. But you know that it's being done the right way by the right people. So I thought that might make a much better idea. Yeah, because I know during the interview, a group of beekeepers from their, their, the Fastnet Association of Beekeepers, and they were saying, you know, if, if you're really interested in, in bees or giving bees as a present, to, for the person, rather than buy the bees, give them a beginner's, a starter course to let them find out about it. Because you, you can't just take on bees. It's, you know, you need oh, to learn. God, it's, a skill. it's a Absolutely skill. not. Another great idea as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, uh, straight into questions. Ask Peter, can I dig up rhubarb now and can I cut back roses and raspberry bushes and some shrubs? I've had nothing done yet this year. Yes, 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 and maybe is the answer to that. So, yes, you can dig your rhubarb now and divide it and replant it, absolutely. Uh, yes, you can cut back your raspberries now, cut back the, the brownie stems and leave the other ones a bit late, but it's, it's certainly not too late. The other one was lift, I can't, there was another one there before the uh, raspberries. Raspberries, can she cut back roses? Lift the rhubarb. Roses, yes, you can cut back roses. You can cut back your roses now, definitely. Anytime between now and kind of the end of February would be the time. If there's a few flowers on the roses, leave them and enjoy them, but they may not be. And if there isn't, you can absolutely cut them back. The the other bit is a bit too general. Can you cut back other shrubs? You can cut back some shrubs at this time of the year. You know what? In truth, you can cut back nearly all of them, but you're not going to harm the plant particularly. But what you may do, and this is where, where time of year becomes important when you're cutting back, you may sacrifice the flowers for next year because spring flowering plants like your camellias and anything like this, azaleas, rhododendrons that flower early in the year, they already have their flower buds on the plant ready to open in the spring. So if you cut it back now, you will have no flowers next year. Later flowering plants like buddleias and the, the later summer stuff, you can cut them back now because they won't, they won't, they'll only produce flowers on next year's growth, if you like. Okay, somebody is planting up uh, winter winter window boxes this year. The summer bedding plants have all but died now. Can I put all of that into the compost bin? Oh, absolutely. Don't look at it as something for to be dumped. Don't look at it as a waste product. It's, it's, it'll all turn into great compost. So straight into the compost bin, yeah, and plant away with, with fresh, fresh soil, fresh compost and some lovely winter colour, yeah. Okay, Amy wants to know what has gone wrong with her tree fern this year. It's planted in the garden about 20 years, but she says the trunk has started to develop a white fungus. Should she be worried? Uh, not necessarily, no. I mean, I, I obviously don't know what it is. I haven't seen it. Maybe she, she tell her, feel free to send in a photograph and we'll have a look at it. But uh, people see fungi and, and toadstools in the grass and, this and immediately think, oh God, that's something to be worried about. But you know, we're surrounded by millions of different types of fungi and, and, and other soil microbes all the time. And they're they're essential. They're not just not harmful. They're essential for things to break down in the soil. So just because there's a fungal growth doesn't mean it's a harmful fungal growth. No. So no need to be worried until we know more, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. So send us in a photograph. We'll have a look at it uh, and we'll see if it's anything to be worried about. If if it's not manifesting itself in, in dieback of the, of the fronds or anything like that, then you're probably all right. Okay, Jennifer has a yucca tree that is growing in a clay pot. It's gone very tight. She wants to remove it and put it into a bigger pot. How does she get it out without physically breaking the clay pot? depending on the shape of the pot it may not be possible I'm afraid so you know a lot of these pots and, and kind of like jars where the, the top or the neck of the pot is narrower than the lower down you know the pot can be quite fat lower down and narrow up at the top if that's the case I'm afraid it's impossible to get it out except to break the pot so it's that's more a question for, for physics than, than horticulture I'm afraid so yeah. I, I don't have any magic trick for it if um, if if the neck of the pot is wider then it should come out easy enough, just a bit of maybe take, being taking care and being careful and, and just just sliding it out. But if the neck of the pot is narrower, then no, I'm afraid you're probably going to have to break the pot. You're better off with plastic pots, eh? Oh, God, no. 
No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Unless they're recycled plastics. I'm just not a huge fan of, of plastic pots. But, but the, 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 it, is, it does seem like an awful pity to break the, the terracotta or the clay. Yeah, yeah. But that, 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 that terracotta is, you know, it's a natural material that can go back into the soil for drainage or something like that. And in terms of cost now, you know, plastic is probably every bit as expensive as a nice terracotta one. So you're not saving really. It's just, it is it is a pity to lose a pot. That's okay. all. Move away from the plastic. Okay, Jim yeah. is in Clonakilty. He has two apple trees growing in his uh, garden this year. Uh, he said uh, one did fine, but the other one blossomed, but was very scarce on fruit. And he's wondering why would that suddenly happen this year? And he's preparing for next year, obviously. If but and if they've been there for for if they're established, which they obviously are, because he's seeing, he's pointing out that it's just this year it's happened. Then it's it's just it's it's a question of pollinating and the pollinators. So and we're all aware, obviously, of the the pollinators dwindling in numbers. And there's a couple of other factors there as well, because we had such a wet summer that would also have had an effect on pollinator activity at the time of blossom, but also the 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 fruit setting. But you've also got what's what's known as a kind of an ecological mismatch, uh, Trish, where a lot of plants now are flowering earlier than they would have 50 and 100 years ago. So that, that may not sound like anything important, but if, if your apple blossom, let's say, for example, always flowered in the first week of April, well, over the millennia, insects uh, have developed relationships and the whole thing, the whole tapestry works that they, they'll come out of hibernation to feed on the, the, the pollen and nectar of the apple blossom during the first week in April. And now suddenly, if the apple blossom is flowering a week or two earlier, the mismatches there, the insects haven't adapted yet. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So th- there is a thing called an ecological mismatch, which is very much happening at the moment as well. But So it could be to do with that, uh, that it flowered earlier, too early for the insects. It could be the fact that there just isn't enough pollinators around, or it could be just that it was too wet. It might also be that maybe there wasn't enough flowers to give you much fruit, in which case pruning it at this time of the year will do no harm as well. So it's a kind of a vague answer to to kind of wait and see what happens next year, if you like. Yeah, okay. And uh, a final one in from Sharon. Just this morning, she found a bag of daffodil bulbs in her shed. She said they're there since last year. They feel firm to the touch. Are they worth planting? Absolutely, Plant give it a away. go. Um, give it a go. I thought she was going to say that they were this year's, and is it too late? In which case, it's absolutely not too late for this year's bulbs. But normally, if they've been there since last year, they would have gone soft or, or, or rotten. But the fact that they haven't, it is certainly unusual. But I would, I would, I mean, you've nothing to lose. Give it a go, except maybe a bit of backache planting. Yes. But but <laughs> I would give away. it a go. Yeah, definitely. Plant away. Listen, have a lovely week, and we'll talk to you next week for the final one before Christmas. Look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks for that. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, theirishgardener.com. We mentioned about schools and uh, the listener from has children going to St. Mary's Secondary School in Mallow and they don't have a canteen that sells hot meals. And I was wondering, do any secondary schools sell hot uh, meals? Uh, well, a listener was on saying Skibbereen Community School sell hot meals to their students. Well, at least they did when my girls were there. And John Paul said he's had a few calls in to say MICC in Dunmanway. They have a canteen and they serve hot food uh, every day. All right, so I'm open, I was open to correction on that. And then on the Tall Red Candles, Vickery's Corner Shop in Bantry, normally have tall red uh, candles. Someone else says the Skibbereen, the Eurostar discount store in Skibbereen, says Kate, they have tall red candles. And Jesse says some Dunn stores will sell tall red candles in the homeware section. Thank you for that. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richard 
pictures with you for the afternoon and we're back with you for Thursday's edition of the programme tomorrow. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.